Thank you for joining us at the NEA Podcast, a podcast designed to help develop and inspire nonprofit leaders. Thank you for joining us. Here's your host, Brad Lebowski, CEO of NEA or Nonprofit Engagement Advisors. All right, welcome back to the uh, NEA podcast where we're featuring nonprofit leaders throughout the country. Today, it's not only an honor, but a privilege to spend some time talking to Stephen Bergman. Um, He and I have known each other for a very long time. He's the founder and artistic director for the New York uh, Classical Theater, and he's here to answer our nine questions. So welcome, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Great. Such a great, great, great way. Great to chat. So describe your nonprofit's mission and who you serve. Okay, so um, New York's Classical's mission is to um, uh, present um, uh, popular classics and forgotten masterpieces in publicly accessible venues for free all across New York City. So we serve on average between eight and 10,000 people a year for free with uh, professional level off-Broadway theater in New York City. And um, in relation to this, so one of the things that we tout, we mentioned is about 30% of our audience currently lives at or below the New York City poverty line. So this is a, these are folks who would not be able to financially afford um, off-Broadway, which is, which is fun, yeah. Tell us about your actors uh, and, and how they're treated um, and, and how, what you've done um, in your career to help them. Well, um, they're all pros. They're, this is what they do for a living. Um, they're, uh, we, they're all unionized. We have three major theatrical unions um, that we work with. So we pay union rates and actors receive uh, pension payments and healthcare as well as their, their weekly salary. Um, so they come to us just like a regular off-Broadway job. We, we audition and do the same thing that a regular off-Broadway theater would do in New York City. So, but it's important to have that professional standing, if you will. Um, and uh, then we like them. We keep them around a little bit, you know, like the norm, that's, a, that's kind of a normal thing in our business. So Absolutely. I, I think that's fantastic how you take care of your people. Um, I think it's unique. Um, not just in New York, but in general in theater. So I think that's great. And I should also say we're, we're, we've added a new major program to our, um, our, our, our um, recognizing that classical theater is um, a tool of, um, is, a, is a tool of, has been a tool of racism in the past. Our anti-racist activities, one of the tools is to, because Classical theater, which we define as plays written before 1910, approximately 110 years ago. Um, they are primarily written by white male uh, men of uh, European descent and I mean, European and American descent. So um, one of the ways we are uh, working uh, to fulfill our mission to really reach the entire cross section of New York is by looking for current new plays actually that are based on or what I'm calling cognates of inspired by um, classics. So we, that's an exciting new program. We just brought in a uh, literary director who's now a member of our staff. His name is Matt Chapman and he's helping us discover that and we're uh, putting plays through workshops and, and, and ultimately into full production. Fantastic. That's 
Absolutely. So Shakespeare will be running right against a brand new play that's written about maybe that same play. Fantastic. Yes, in conversation. Good idea. Really good idea. Um, why is your nonprofit more relevant now than ever before? Well, I think that's what I talked about before is really the case. It's, it's, it's um, we are not, well, right now in the midst of the world pandemic, most of our summer productions are outdoors. So that makes it really much more accessible and we're hopeful, not, uh, it's not sure yet of whether we're gonna do a production this summer, we're gonna be safe enough yet to, to gather in, 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 in mass. Um, but the, what we define as accessibility is, is many fold. Um, accessibility can mean um, financial discrepancy, right? Where we literally in our audience have a multimillionaire sitting right next to someone who lives at the below the poverty line, at or below the poverty line. Uh, that's actually something that uh, a lot of people don't think about in theaters. You know, the people who can afford the really good seats sit up close and the people who can't sit in the back. That's, that's discrimination, right? That's financial discrimination. Um, we are near public transportation for those who don't have access to a car or cannot afford private transportation. Um, our texts themselves, although written for 400 plus years ago, oftentimes, you know, we work on the accessibility factor as well, because a lot of our people attending our shows are not Shakespeare literate, don't come and have, oh, I've already seen this play in 17 other productions. No, no, no. They're coming for the very first time to see a show, which may be a popular classic for Shakespeareans, but maybe their very first time. So we're really thinking about all levels of accessibility and what, what those things mean. Um, the goal, our goal is, and we have not achieved this yet, is the way I paraphrase it is, I want our stage our, to look like uh, a subway car, an average subway car at rush hour. So we really want the, you know, New York is an incredibly diverse city, um, and we want to make sure that people can see themselves on stage and represented on, themselves represented on stage. It's fantastic. That's fantastic. So when you have this pandemic hit and of course Broadway shuts down and all these mm -hmm. things are happening in New York and you're doing the best that you can to um, you know keep your organization moving forward and and gaining speed at least it sounds like to me what keeps you up at night what keeps me up at night is the uncertainty of where we're at honestly that's what I was I was, I was thinking about this question a lot that so you sent it to me a, a few days ago and and um, every morning I wake up and I'm like can we go out or can we do a show? Can we not do a show? What's the union's going to say about these things? And, you know, there's plans. A, I've, I have colleagues with plans like A through M, right? They've got like <laughs> different versions. And, and, you know, we're not big enough yet to run all those. I mean, I know what I want to literally run spreadsheets with 26 pages, you know, or whatever, right. 15 pages. Um, but, you know, we do have scenarios. You know, there are things like Zoom fatigue is a real thing right now. Many people spend their entire day, most people, not many, many, yeah, many people spend their entire day on Zoom. If they use it for work, if they use it for school, whatever. Can we continue producing plays on the Zoom? Right. Which we've done, I think we've done, we just finished our fifth production, our Zoom, fifth Zoom production, completely free, of course. Um, you know, th there's, of course, yeah, there's a lot of the small stuff that keeps me up at night. Um, I will say a big shout out to the Small Business Administration. Thank you very much for helping us get through this, continue to survive. We've learned a lot of lessons 
over the years in New York. Uh, I was not expecting to found a company in New York and this to be my first, uh, not my first, but rather my fourth once in a lifetime event, right? We started with 9-11. Sure. We had a hurricane, we had a stock market crash, and now we have a pandemic all in the 22 years that neoclassical has been around. So we've learned some lessons from that. And one of the things is socking away cash for restart money. Uh, a lot of nonprofits that were supported uh, aggressively during prior uh, events didn't come out of them, although they were, because they had they burned through all their cash during, um, during their downtime instead of right. holding on to it things like that. We have great support from our, our bank. We have great support from our supporters, incredible support from our board of directors all the way down the line. You know, I, I feel that New York, I feel New York classical is very valued right now. And there's a lot of people who don't want to see us go away, but I will also want at this time to be there for those people who've lost their jobs, who may have been a supporter, but just can't do it now. So you know what, you should just come back anyhow. Thank you for what your past, what you did. And, but we want, we're there for you. We're there for your kids. Um, and you know, the, so I, I feel like it's good. We're going to have, we're going to have, uh, th there's a place for us right now. I think that's excellent. As a leader, director, how do you expand your knowledge? Well, the thing I've been working on, and this is part of our, we, we are a, uh, PWI primarily white led institution. Um, and we are, uh, since the death of George Floyd and actually prior to that, we have been doing um, a lot of anti, what we call anti-racist activities. And part of that is to expand the voices, what I call the voices in my, voices going into my ears, right? So for many years, for really about 18 years, I ran this company by myself and I don't, uh, the, the consult was what, what's between my ears. I'm consulting myself. I don't want to be Donald Trump. Right? right, I'm my best consultant. Oh, I said that out loud, but publicly, but that's okay. I so I am looking for new voices to bring in new ideas. I'm still going to make the final decisions of the artistic director of the company, the founder, but I want to make sure I'm really seeing all different perspectives. And our most recent hire, the literary director, Matt has been really helpful about that, helping me just see things in a different way from a different viewpoint, a different lens. How are these things going to affect people? Because you know, there's a, there's a point where you, on any given project, you reach saturation with your own ideas. You could only know so much. But I am taking a lot of time right now to do a lot of reading, reading a lot of stuff that maybe I would not have been had time to do before. I'm really trying to take advantage of all these, all, all this time this downtime, if you will, because it's not that we're not very busy. We are very busy, but it's a different kind of busy because we're not running a show for, you know, two or three months a year. So yeah. that, that's a very different kind of energy. So it's that collaboration, that looking at different views, bringing people in um, to kind of listen to them. That's how you're expanding your knowledge. I think. That's yeah, great. largely. I mean, like, you know, what's been really surprisingly uh, pleasant surprise has been we've actually really grown our board of directors and really done a lot of turnover. Um, three years ago, we three, three people rolled off the board. We have now went from a board of eight to now we're at 12, about to add our 13th. Um, a lot of people in this time have said, have rethought about what they want to do. A lot of people want to join board of directors, boards of directors, wow. which has been great. Uh, we've added also two, our first, not first, but our, we've added two BIPOC members of the board. 
on the board, which is awesome. Again, a different perspective, hearing people from different backgrounds, and we're being very conscious about our continuing um, recruitment for our board. Um, we know where we want, we, we want we're, we're gonna be 13, I believe, soon, and we wanna hit uh, 15 plus me, I'm a, I'm a member of the board, so that would be a total of 16. But we're really being very careful about who we recruit and what skills they can bring to the board, and there's not that redundancy. Um, there's a different way of looking at value. Is there value of in-kind service as opposed to sure. give, get, and money? Sure. You know, not everybody has to do that because what if, what if we have a board member who can give us, yeah, con consultation that we'd have to provide, we'd have to pay for somewhere else when we're getting it for free? Isn't that a give? Isn't that their give? Yeah, absolutely. Right? And that's a very different way of thinking about board members. And I'm really grateful to Hillary Cohen, our, our managing director, for helping me really kind of understand that. Um, and also having now a regular second full-time employee in the office, somebody who I can really just, you know, bat around ideas with, but that's part of it as well. It's excellent. I like talking about emotional intelligence because when we think of job descriptions, when we think of requirements, we have this list of stuff that most people can say, yeah, I've done that, or yeah, I know that. But emotional intelligence is the kind of person you are, how you navigate emotionally or socially that, you know, keeps your team alive, keeps your board members engaged. Um, what aspect of emotional intelligence do you use the most? Well, I'm an artist, so let's start with that. So emotions <laughs> are my business. <laughs> so that's all fantastic the, all, all, way to right, start. Right, right, right. That's it. I mean, that, that it, it's it's you know, what is a theater company if there's no theater? What is any sort of nonprofit if there's no there's no mission? I mean, the mission the mission is you know if there there's no there's no product you know or or events or a mission or whatever it is. Right. So. Um, you know, my first is an emotional response to shows. What are my, my audiences come for? My, our audience and my audience, our audiences come for emotional response. That's the work, right? That's what people are attracted to, number one. And then we can take that to your, very specifically to your question to the structures of the company and how do we create that? How do we lay out for our board meeting? Right. So we've got a, we have a board retreat once a year, many nonprofits do, right? How do you keep people engaged? How do you keep them excited? So oftentimes our managing director turns to me and is like, okay, what are we going to do to get everybody juiced? So I will come up with like this last time uh, we, we just had a, at the end of January, we had our board retreat and we, I opened it with, cause we were starting it in the morning and it was like, okay, man, we got one member who was living on the West coast, is in the West coast at the time. And I was like, okay, so what have you seen on Zoom that's really exciting? It doesn't have to be us. But just the chance that people can share or open, we did a uh, elevator speech exercise when we still could gather in person where literally the board, you know, it was two people, right? And then they switched and they switched and they switched. So that was a great way to integrate our newest board members who really, you know, oftentimes a new board member won't speak for you know, months and months, maybe a year until sure. they feel comfortable. This was a way of kind of, you know, fast tracking that, getting to know people, really, you know, getting that. I've had board members read Shakespeare speeches in the boardroom. Nice. You know, just so, so I'm just, I'm thinking about this is their love. What I like to call the board, um, they're our greatest fans, 
right? These are the people not only opening their checkbook, but they're opening their mind and thinking about things and how do we get them thinking about us? So let's start with the emotion that they love the work that we do. Okay, great. They are gonna tell their friends, great. But like, let's get them involved as well. And I try to think about that from the entire cast, you know, it's, and that's no different than me treating a, a show and the actors and things like that. You know, how, why does this mean something to you? It's not just a job. Um, I always like to say, like in theater, it's not like film. We don't get paid a lot of money. You got to be here because you like it. You got to be here because you really want to do something, right? You really want to do this role. You do something that really appeals to you. And how do you make it emotional, fun, exciting, things like that. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really a great thing to see. And it's, it's, um, it's not trickle down, but it's really just taking the same idea and the same lens that we work with in the play itself and with our audience and then applying it to the structure of the company. But I think that's you know something like we say in uh, currently in our, our board um, interview process is uh, we ask our current board members to look at, will this person fit our, our um, will fit in well? Right, will fit because right. we have a really good board, if you will, mojo. I don't know how to, you know, there's a, there's a, we have a really lovely group of people who all talk. There's 12 of us who talk in, in, a, in a meeting and not, nobody's quiet sitting in the corner on their, you know, cell phone and whatever. They, everyone has opinions about everything. Everybody's sitting up and you could see it, you could feel it. And it's important as we grow in the board that we don't bring in someone who's going to change that culture, right? right? That's the word I'm looking for, who's going to change the board culture. So um, I think that's that's really important. You know, I set it, I set the tone. Sorry, it's our phone. I set the tone, um, but, you know, that's the beginning. That's the beginning. I think that's that's excellent. And I think for those leaders and nonprofits that aren't true artists, can really learn something from that, that there's a passion and energy that has to be managed as well as just the content of responsibilities. Something, yeah, something we, we just talked about. So we've been, we're working on trying to figure out what an anti-racism training program will look like moving forward. And we decided to have one-on-ones with the entire board. And in these one-on-ones, the first, one of the first things I'm telling them is I'm like, look, we're hiring 55 to 75 people a year. That's not, those people, yes, are your responsibility, but so are the eight to 10,000 people we're playing to. They're understanding, you know, the idea is they're understanding that it's, they're not just walking in, make a, a flip decision about the budget. The budget has implications, not to a small number of people, but to a large number of people. Sure. You know, they may never know, the people may ne- never know, except they see in the back of the program, the name of the board directors. They may never recognize and put the two and two together, but, the, but sitting on the board, it's not just, um, you're financially invested, right? You have uh, liability. There, there's all sorts of finance, there's legal things, but then there's, how do we, how do we communicate? What we're talking about now is how do we communicate our ethics? How do we create, communicate our morals? How we are moving forward, what we've done wrong, what we're going to fix, how we're going to move forward on this. That's the board, right? Right. And that, then it gets them excited too. So these one-on-ones was an opportunity we did to get people to like, just tell us what's on your mind. Don't be, don't tell me what, I want to know what you think. I don't know what, I don't want to know what you think the board's going to like. Very smart. And some wonderful ideas have come out of this. And some real stinkers. <laughs> and as, okay. as it always has. And that's okay because, that's okay. Some, yeah, I'm, I'm also the big belief that sometimes it's a kernel of an idea. 
I encourage my board to talk about anything, even if it's not a fully formed idea, because sometimes the kernel of ideas can be built upon. We had one, what I would call like a amazing moment in a board meeting um, a few years ago where we came up with this idea because everything's free. We have a difficult time. We've had a difficult time in the past tracking who comes to the shows, right? For a fundraising purposes, right? right. And what we came up with this idea of refundable reservations, right? It sounds like a bizarre thing. We ask people to reserve when we do indoor shows and there's a, a much more in a larger cost for the company. We ask them to reserve, put us, give us a credit card. And, but when you're done, we will literally hand you your money back if you so choose. Now, most of them turned, I would say, I think it's like 85% turn it into a donation. Nice. Awesome. But for those who need the money back, we've had incredible people, things said like, you know, I could never have afforded this had this not been the case. Happy to give you my credit card. Even happier to take the, the you know, we, had, we literally have a stack of cash at every show. Wow. This was, this was, and this was evolved by the board from like kernels of ideas. One person said, oh, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And all of a sudden it built into a, a really kind of clear idea. And then my managing director got us a, got us a really good CRM. Nice. And we now can actually track even our outdoor shows. We now do reservations. Fantastic. And we, there's a little carrot there because they're outdoors. So we, they start at seven and six o'clock if there's rain instead of us not being able to communicate, we can now communicate with everybody's made reservations. So almost everybody, not every, not almost everybody, but a lot of people now make reservations because if we're canceled because of rain, they want to know, they don't want to get in sure. the, the subway or however they get to us. They don't want to get on, you know, walk or whatever, and then get there. And it's like, Oh, it's going to rain in 10 minutes. Sorry, we canceled. No, no. And that's just how we did it for a long time. So we're using combination of technology with, with emotional intelligence. What do people want? How do they want to receive it? And I will tell you, I know that um, if they can't come that night because it was rained out, they will come again because we've told them and saved them the time that they would have spent getting to us and things yeah. like that. So very smart, very smart. Thanks. Congratulations on that. Thank you. So what is something you want to teach me? That's a harder one. You know a lot, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I don't. I don't. You know what? I don't know if I know how to answer that question exactly. I think there are a lot of people who don't connect back. Who, who split their brains between analytics and mission. And that divide is something I'm always, whenever I'm asked for advice, something I always encourage other people to do. Because like there's tremendous stuff uh, in analytics now, right? We can do all mm -hmm. sorts of measures and spreadsheets and find out these kind of trends and we do surveying and this is what they're hearing, et cetera, et cetera. But there's also a heart piece that's sometimes missing. Right. And I feel that that's important as well. So like recently I asked, the, I, 
our managing director does some post-show surveys and things like that. And recently I said, you know, would you send those to me? I want to read what they say. Because as I'm even making my programming decisions, not that I'm going to absolutely, you know, again, back to you, I guess your original question, I'm hearing more voices. Right. I'm hearing more voices and it may not change my mind, but at least I know they're out there. Right. And it can actually support what you're thinking or doing. Correct. Which is nice. It's a nice to have. Yes. The other thing is um, um, encouragement of colleague groups. You know, people who meet regularly. I started, um, we belong to an organization called the Shakespeare Theater Association, which is producers of Shakespeare all, all around the world, frankly, mostly, mostly in the United States, but we have colleagues all around the world. And I recently started a monthly meetup group on Zoom because we can. Great. And, you know, getting 20, 25 major people every month in the same Zoom room, laughing, enjoying, talking, questioning each other, asking questions, uh, soliciting advice. And we have companies in the room yesterday from, you know, $50,000 a year budget or $25,000 a year budget to like $35 million a year budgets are all in the same room, sharing, thinking together. And I think that is, that's really useful for any, anybody who's leading organizations. Cause you know, you can get so, uh, you don't want to be micromanaged by your board, but you also don't want to micromanage yourself. You need some, right. you need some of that, you know, 40,000 foot view. As I say, you know, we had some, as I, when Hillary, our manager director and I talk, I'm like, okay, I'm going to bring up something that is really a big, big issue. Not to deal with all of it right now, but like, I'm, okay, I'm looking down. What are we going right. to do? One of the things we were just talking about, we were talking about the future uh, of our internship program. And for an equity reason, uh, there's a privilege uh, working as an intern for free. A person has to come from privilege in order to afford to not be paid to work. Right. And that is a huge problem from an equity point of view. And we have had that and we recognize that that was what the case was. It's how I began. I came from privilege. I was in enough money that I could pay my rent and still work for basically free for several years. And not everyone could do that. And that, of course, is a, a big block for people who, who, yeah, who don't have those abilities and they're right. so how do we change that one of the things is we're going to change our current internship program into a paid program and how is that going to morph now we have a uh set of decisions of, in, in the future ahead of us right now to how are we going to move toward that is it going to be an incremental thing we can't can we do it overnight probably not it's going to be a two-year plan it's going to be a three-year plan what are we going to do and what's really important um is reporting is reporting like okay we achieved this this is what we didn't achieve and this is why we didn't achieve that right. and so annually we came out with um uh in september we released our annual plan of action in support of uh, uh the the theater world um you may or may not know uh came out with a uh, uh people in the theater world bipoc artists of the theater world came out with a list of demands it's called the BIPOC Demands List for White American Theater. It was released in July, I believe, June or July, and followed up by some amazing, uh, really amazing and very eye-opening sessions. And very clear, this is a real gift. It's a real gift. It's like, this is what we need. And one of them was, let's get rid of these unpaid internships because people wow. who do not come from means, who do not come from, you know, uh, who are not, who don't have the privilege can't always do this. And if that is a, that is 
barring people from entering the industry, we need to change that. So we're thinking now we can, now we can, okay, so now we, we did a heart decision and now we need to figure out structurally how we're going to get there and how long is it going to take. Right. Then we're going to present it to our board of directors. You know, um, one of the big things back to these meetings we're doing is, uh, you know, in anti-racist training, they, there's a lot of talk about, you know, the budget tells your morals, right? That's something to really think about. And I've, yeah, that's exactly. one of the things I tell the board, the budget tells you, you know, so we're saying, okay, for next season, we said to them, because we want, I wanted 12 independent answers, right? Including myself, how much should we spend? How much, we're going to create a new line item for anti-racist training. How much? And but let me tell you, I, I'm not going to tell you the specifics, but they, not because they're confidential meetings, but the numbers are all over the board. They're really very disparate. And kind of as they should be. Every, and as they should be. And then, you know, yeah. and then we'll add math and then we'll find out what the happy medium is. And then we will decide how we're going to do, what are we going to do with this pot of money right. that the board has decided that we should, you know, increase our budget by this number so that we can do this kind of training. Beautiful. You know, because part of our commitment is to train everyone who comes to the doors. That's awesome. Yeah. I know you, you talked a little bit about looking at some of the results that you see and kind of measuring where you go from there. How do you mm -hmm. measure success in your organization? That's interesting. That's a really interesting question. So, because, you know, it comes up in a lot of grant applications sometimes. <laughs> I would sure so, many. Yes. So, you know, yes, there's um, attendance numbers broken now down because we can now see it through um, our analytical work. How many people are, are students, meaning under 18? How many people are seniors coming to the work? Right. What are those changes? Where are they coming from? You know, our most recent thing, our most recent uh, online project had 60% coming from the five boroughs of New York, New York City, greater New York City. But we had people as far away as... Uh, Zimbabwe. We had an actress in Zimbabwe, actually. So we had Zimbabwe and Thailand, and you know, so so that that shows something. Critical review shows something. Are we, you know, are we picked? Uh, we were picked a couple of seasons ago for you know, top off Broadway show in New York City. Wow. One of the critics picked uh, our our importance of being earnest uh, as that. Uh, we did it two ways every night. The actors, the entire company, changed roles and gender. So it was really exciting to see Amazing. women playing men and men playing women. It was, you know, in corsets and skirts, the whole, the whole nine yards, just, it was, it was really an exciting thing. Um, but so, the, so it's, it's, it's a combination, you know, and there's also, and it's hard. And frankly, it's hard, especially for a founder because you're always moving forward. Someone talked in my meeting yesterday about this constant desire for movement forward. Right. And there's the, you know, the site, what is it called? The cycles of nonprofits, right? There's that book, that old book that, you know, that it's, it's a good book. It's like how nonprofits grow. You can't grow sure. in a straight line. You have to go down and you have to reconfigure and you have to re-examine, then you have to go back up. Well, I'm, I'm, our next session actually is going to be devoted to the cycles of artistic leaders. How do we, you know, what, when do we need to rest? When do we need to eat? You know, this endless search of coming to the next big thing. You know, when is it going to stop? I think, I think the pandemic, one of the good things about this is that time where you, you know, some people are just are really busy with a lot of minutiae and I'm, but I'm trying to really figure, think about bigger picture items. 
you know, I started sense. a list of potential projects, which I could, I would never have the time to do that. And it's kind of exciting to see that future and to have that opportunity to kind of carve your path to it. And also, but also the, when you're talking about success, celebrating what's happened, because sometimes there's not time to celebrate. That's important. What, what have you accomplished in this period of time? You know, um, we're probably close to serving 275,000 people. Amazing. I'm so excited by that number, right? Fantastic. You know, so like I can go to bed and go to go, okay, this is the number of people we've played for, for free. Right. Yeah. So thank you. And, but you know, that, so it's like, but there's not always that time and especially, you know, in the, the high pressure world of nonprofits. So like one of my favorite new sayings is you got to go slow to go fast. You got to lay everything out. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's like cooking. What's it like? Uh, I can't remember what, you know, you cut up all the vegetables and you put them in different piles before you start cooking. Right. Missing plots. Right. So you have to like lay everything out, get ready. And then you go. But without that forethought and that attention, it's hard to, to make the final dish. I'm, I'm, I'm using a cooking metaphor as a non-cook myself. <laughs> it's good though, I get it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, because there's always, you know, no matter what your, what your mission is, it's gonna, be, it's gonna be related. In the audience of this podcast, is there one thing you want them to understand about your organization? What would it be? I didn't, well, <clears throat> I think a nonprofit is a partnership between public and private. Not public and private, excuse me, let me say that. Between the nonprofit and the public audience, and the public, right? Sure. Not necessarily donor driven because donors may or may not be your recipients. You know, I, I said, I call the board directors my, our biggest fans, right? Yes, they are our biggest fans. They are the ones who are opening their checkbooks and writing the largest contributions generally. Not, not exclusively, but general. Wow. Okay, that's number one. But the, the this partnership and finding your place. So you can't just make a decision and go into any city. Every city is unique. Every population is unique. And you have to look at your organization in terms of where you are and who you're serving. Uh, we are... So one of the decisions I made about a year ago is the company is not, New York Classical is not going to close when I retire. Okay, so seven, 50, I'm 55 now, probably got another 15 years in my career, if I'm lucky. Oh no, who knows, whatever. So we'll say, okay, let's say 15 years, right? For just, for round number's sake. Sure. And, but is it gonna continue? So we are actually making active plans now for me to hand this off at some point in good shape. So when I hand the keys off and I'm just directing, let's just say like I'm directing a show a year, I'm no longer dealing with the payroll. I'm no longer dealing with all that day-to-day -day stuff. Sure. Um, are we in good shape? But you know, the key is back to the initial question, it's your connection with the public. Are, are you hitting it? Are you, are you doing something that the public is responding to? Are you in the right location for that? Um, and the other thing, I'll add one more thing to this, which is um, particularly in today's environment um, is to not rest on your laurels, continue to ask the hard questions of yourself, of your company. We recently, I did a deep dive into why Shakespeare 
Shakespeare is been uh, the tool of colonialism, oppression. Uh, one of the things that we used to say in my business was Shakespeare's for everybody. Well, guess what? Shakespeare's not for everybody. And that's taken time and that's been painful. It's leaning, you know, another buzz, buzz expression, whatever, uh, leaning into the discomfort, leaning in. Okay, something may make me feel that I always thought this way. Well, guess what? It's not that way for everyone. It may be that way for many people who I know, but maybe there's a lot of people out there who I don't know, you know, and learning lessons about that and learning lessons about, again, back to the, 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 what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go, who you're trying to reach. And I guess, you know, it goes back to your initial question. Who, who are you listening to? I think that's you know, good when, So, yeah. That relationship between the organization and the public could be a year-long course. Because um, it's not you know, just I mean, about analytics, it's about yeah. your morals as well. And our morals mm -hmm. can change and, and evolve and expand. Mm -hmm. I Correct. think that's absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. I think, yeah, you know, let's not forget it. 501c3 is, you know, you find a 501c3 for the public for the public good. Right. Not the public bad. <laughs> <laughs> that is it's correct. The public, right? It's the public good. What, who, but who is that public? Who's your, you know, when I talk to theaters across the country on a regular basis, who is their vision? You know, when I'm asking, when I'm asking theaters to go through, I've asked a number of theaters to go through the same exercise, why Shakespeare, like I did for me. The answer is gonna be very different in Omaha, Nebraska than it is in New York City. And it's gonna be different right. in Los Angeles. It's going to be different in Seattle. It's going to be different in Florida, in Georgia, wherever you're at, there's going to be a different answer to this. Just thinking about who you are, just because you come up with a really hot, what you think is a hot, cool new idea, doesn't mean it's always going to work in that same way. It's not that if you build it, they will come exactly. But if they're out there, right? If that is a public, again, if the public wants that, right? You know, we're, we I have to say we're one of the few audience facing organizations, theater organizations in New York City, where we really, our mission is about the audience. It's not about the actors. It's not about the art, it's about the audience. And that makes us stand out for good reasons and sometimes not so good reasons. Not being bad reasons, but like for, right. from a foundation point of view that really wanna just serve actors. Well, we're serving audience. We are serving actors, but we're, that's not our mission. Gotcha. So that makes it tricky. And, but we have to think about that as, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not blonde hair and blue eyes. And if you want to date someone who's blonde hair and blue eyes, then uh, my magic director says that then that I'm not the right person. Right. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. okay. So I'll find somebody who likes my dark curly hair and my dark eyes, as my wife yeah. does. Thank goodness. <laughs> there you go. Exactly right. You're good there. Hey, before we go, mm -hmm. let's tell people how to learn more about your organization and how to donate and support what you do. Thank you. I appreciate that. So it's newyorkclassical.org. The best way is our website, N-Y-C-L-A-S-S-I-C-A-L.org. Um, we're also on Instagram and we're on Facebook and Twitter as well. Um, at NYClassical is our, is our um, um, what is it called? Your tag or whatever it is. Right. Your hash, yeah, yeah. Whatever it is, yeah. Yeah, um, our handle, our handle. There you go. That's the internet language. That's right. our handle. And um, yeah, we'd love, we have people all over the world now who are just tuning in uh, specifically right now. Um, and it's really exciting. And, you know, New York, when it comes back, 
you know, I think it's going to be a little while, but um, it's a, it's an exciting thing, and it, it's uh, we hope you come by see a show when you're in New York to visit us. I would love I would love to travel to New York just to see a show. Oh well, I hope so, Brad. I hope so. Well, yeah, we'll make we'll safe. make we'll make that happen. We'll make that happen. That's on my menu for sure, Stephen. Oh, thank you so much for your time. I admire everything that you're doing, thank starting you. from scratch and you know building this amazing organization. Thanks for your time. Thanks for everyone who's listened to the NEA uh, podcast, and we'll be talking to you soon. Thanks for having me. This has been the NEA Podcast, Intellectual Property of Nonprofit Engagement Advisors, LLC. All rights reserved, 2021.